When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. Nets and Suns pulling off a deal. Suns acquiring Kevin Durant from the Brooklyn Nets. If you're the Nets, frankly, I, I don't see how you don't look at this situation as anything other than a failure. It will always be remembered with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden as the team that never was. Finally, the Brooklyn Nets, that great experiment, it is finally over. And this is an organization that is ready to hit the reset button. That trade happening late in the night. And then 12 more trades happening in the final hour of the trade deadline, which has been expired for about an hour. Trying to wrap our heads around it still here on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Series XM, Channel 80, and on your smart speaker. I'm Gabe Nigel. She's Courtney Cronin as we fill in for the guys. And I think I mean, we can actually finally close the book on the Nets. I feel like a lot of people were starting to do that after the Kyrie Irving trade over the weekend, but there was still kind of a thought that, okay, maybe the Nets can salvage this. They still have Kevin Durant, not just one of the best players in the NBA today, but one of the best players in NBA history. But ultimately, the experiments in Brooklyn that began with Kyrie Irving Kevin Durant, eventually James Harden brought in on the trade deadline a year ago. He was traded away. Ben Simmons brought in for that big three. But this era of Nets basketball has come to a close. And it was an epic failure at that. Oh, 100%. Best they did was an Eastern Conference semifinals appearance, Courtney. And people are saying it all over the place, that this is one of the biggest, most epic failures in not just NBA history, but sports history in terms of the star power that was brought in as much as this team was hyped. And can can you think of anybody else, any other teams that come to mind immediately that maybe were as big of failures as this big three of Harden, KD, Kyrie in Brooklyn? I can't. And I've been trying to wrap my brain around what else would equate to this in other sports. And where my head goes is the plug being pulled on teams that had big threes or, you know, championship caliber rosters and the writing on the wall for hitting reboot and reset. And for some reason, my brain always goes to the Seattle Seahawks pulling the plug on the Legion of Boom and realizing, okay, it's time. But that was after the decline in play from so many of these star defenders that had helped this team reach a Super Bowl. And I just look at the totality of this experiment, if you want to call it that, with the Brooklyn Nets and realize all that was given up to get James Harden after forming the alliance between Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And remember, Durant sat out the first season that they were paired together because he had ruptured his Achilles. And we knew that we were going to have to wait to see it. But what we saw was a giant letdown. This is the biggest, greatest three that never was. I mean, you think about the fact that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and the amount of games that those two played together. You mentioned it, the one playoff series. They played 74 games together. Take that a step further and look at Kyrie, KD, and James Harden. 16 games for all of that? 
There's nothing worse. I, I, I just, I don't, you got it. Like in these moments now we're, you know, looking back on hindsight. And of course, Kyrie is talking about why this thing didn't work out. And he's so glad that Kevin Durant also got out of Brooklyn. And there's clearly no love lost between both sides, Kyrie Irving and Brooklyn and the Brooklyn Nets. But I feel like the Nets did this to do right by Kevin Durant and send him to a place where he can go win a title because it's very clearly not going to happen with the Brooklyn Nets who appear at least at this point to be entering rebuild mode and it's painful I think if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan if those people exist out there and weren't just fans of Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant or James Harden for a cup of coffee to realize that they failed, and they failed miserably here. And you've got to wonder with the fallout how many people are no longer with this organization from a front office perspective beyond this season because they did what they had to do to try to recoup some of the draft capital that they lost in that James Harden trade. They got four first-round picks for the Kevin Durant trade, two for Kyrie Irving. The Houston Rockets control all of the Nets' original first-round picks through 2027 because of the James Harden trade. But I just can't sit here and say that the front office gets off scot-free because of the decisions that they made, in addition to the player acquisitions and the trades and the firing of Steve Nash and how this thing got so out of control so quickly in Brooklyn. It makes me wonder if NBA front offices are going to be more leery when taking the input of superstars. Because clearly these two campaigned so hard to get James Harden there. And they gave up all those first-round picks. And now the Houston Rockets are sitting there with all those first-round picks going, man, that team's rebuilding, and now we've got all their picks. And, and they can't even... They were able to get some picks back, certainly from the Suns, but they're not going to be as good as their own picks. Uh, and, and they have nothing to show for it. it. It's just so hard to compare, I think, Courtney, any other team, any other situation. You bring up the Legion of Boom. Yeah, they won a Super Bowl, went to another before they kind of pulled the plug because of, you know, again, some deterioration in skill. They were getting older. And that's not what this is. Yeah, maybe Harden's skills have deteriorated a little bit, but he still found himself to be a pretty productive player for the number three seed in the East in the 76ers. Kyrie's still in his prime. Maybe KD's not in his prime, but he's one of the best five players in the NBA today still. The one thing I, I guess the one team I think of is the 2004 Lakers, but at least they went to a finals before they lost pretty embarrassingly to the Detroit Pistons who just handled them. And that was a team that had Carl Malone, Gary Payton trying to team up with Kobe and Shaq to try to chase that elusive championship in their careers in the twilight. So it's even a little bit different, A, because those guys weren't in their prime, B, because they even they actually went to a finals. They had the opportunity, whereas that never, they didn't even sniff a championship in Brooklyn. That's how big of a failure this thing was. And that's what Tim Legler says. Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst, had this to say on Get Up about the Nets' failures. We're talking about something that's going to go down. I think it's not just maybe the, the greatest underachievement in the history of the NBA. This is one of the greatest underachievements in the history of team sports. Because when they put these three guys together, that should have been guaranteed titles. I think it was the greatest collection of offensive talent ever assembled at the top of one roster when all three guys were there. And the reason that I felt that way about the Nets last week 
which is I think this was the best stretch Kyrie Irving had as a net. He looked bought in. He looked engaged. The Nets had run off at one point 18 out of 20 when Durant was still playing. So you're thinking, well, get him back, and they're going to be right there in the mix with those top three in the East. The one thing, though, that you, they overestimated was guys' willingness to buy in for the long haul and be committed to be in the foxhole together no matter what. And they, they made a huge overestimation there. In which, again, when you take a look at that overestimation, it should have been easier to see maybe in the moment, Courtney, in in hindsight, easy to see. But Kevin Durant, somebody who went from Oklahoma City, then he went to Golden State, then he goes to a different team. And same thing with Kyrie, the way he has bounced around. Long-term commitment just doesn't seem to be there for those guys because they want to be in the best position they can possibly be in, which for them was no longer Brooklyn. Yeah, and I I thought about this when I was hearing Tim Legler talk. Remember, this is not – I mean, this is the worst big three in team sports. Certainly takes the cake in the NBA. But let's not forget, remember when the Brooklyn Nets had one that was equally as on par as Durant, Harden, and uh, Kyrie Irving, and it set their franchise back – Many, many years. So then when they got to the point where they're like, hey, we need to add a big three. We need to go ahead and do this to get back in contention because that trade, Paul Pierce going from Boston to the Brooklyn Nets to team up with Kevin Garnett and Joe Johnson. Remember when that was supposed to be the big three that had (laughs) like the youthful upbringing and they were just going to rip through the Eastern Conference? Well, what happened? They ran into a buzzsaw that was LeBron in the Miami Heat, and they never became the team that they should have been. So that's the other greatest that never was in that category, that dealing with the Brooklyn Nets. This is not, unfortunately, their first rodeo in this territory. But my goodness, nothing will touch the unassumed potential, the expectations that were unfulfilled more than what we saw in and didn't see. That's the thing. I mean, if if they actually played the games, Gabe, in more than just 16 games between Kyrie, KD, and James Harden, that'd be one thing. Like, if they kept running, if they came, you know, short of reaching the Eastern Conference final because they kept going and bucking heads with Milwaukee and Boston, that's one thing. They never even saw the floor together all that much, and that's what's frustrating. That's what we're going to remember as why this is the greatest big three that never was because they literally never were on the floor together. You could join the conversation, 888-729-3776. That's 888-SAY-ESPN. If you have any other thoughts on epic failures of big threes, some of the other biggest disappointments in sports history, uh, one that just kind of popped to my mind, but I think we all kind of laughed at it in the first place in the NFL uh, when I, I believe it was Vince Young went to the Um, Philadelphia Eagles in the late 2000s, early 2010s. And the Eagles certainly won the offseason, signed all these uh, free agents. And he he had the gall to call them a dream team. And I believe the Eagles missed the playoffs and (laughs) that thing got blown up very quickly. But I think we all in the moment laughed at that one. Whereas this one certainly had expectations in the moment for the Nets when they built that up. No, absolutely. And now I'm wondering... Did Ben Simmons just, like, get off scot-free in all of this? I mean, last I checked, he's still with the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know if they were trying to offload him. I don't know if anybody else was, you know, interested in acquiring his talents considering how poorly he's played this season. But think about that. Think about that trade that was pulled off with the Philadelphia 76ers. Does that not lead you to believe that some of the decisions that were made with this front office in Brooklyn, that these people might not be cut out to be assembling rosters? 
here on oh. and so forth with the Brooklyn Nets. Look, if you're Joe Sy and you own not one but two professional sports franchises and you look at what your front office has been through the last few years, aren't you thinking of a reset there too? Uh, yeah, I, I would think so. I mean, if you can't just make wrong decision after wrong decision, even if at the time it may have seemed right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's okay. What have you? What did your teams that you built do? And these teams were an epic failure. So it's not just on, as you said, the three of Harden, KD, Kyrie. Sprinkle a little Ben Simmons in there as well because he didn't really play last year, played some this year, and has played poorly for the most part for the Nets. But it comes down to, yes, the decision-making of that front office. And they should be receiving a lot of blame. And you have to wonder, okay, if they made this many bad decisions, can I trust them if I want to completely rebuild this team the the mode they're currently in? And that's certainly a conversation worth having uh, if you are a Brooklyn Nets fan. Uh, Kurt Canty and Carlin is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. This is once in a lifetime opportunities we got right in front of us in our hands. So what are you going to do? Dies for the far front pylon. Touchdown! He's going to score! Jalen Hurts! If we control the things we can, we damn good. Chance attack for up the right sideline, 10! going to the Super Bowl. We are and we cannot wait. Despite the NBA's best efforts, and it has been an unbelievable effort by the NBA, starting with the Kyrie Irving trade, culminating in 12 trades happening in the final hour of the trade deadline earlier today, the NBA trying to do their best to hijack Super Week in Arizona. But there is a big game that's still coming up on Sunday evening as the Chiefs and Eagles get ready to go head-to-head in Super Bowl 57. Gabe Nights with Courtney Cronin in on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And one of the things I think that the Eagles need to be a little bit concerned about is the lack of you know, kind of being challenged since since Jalen Hurts has returned. They, they haven't been pushed. They got to go up against a team in the Giants that clearly was almost a happy-to-be-there moment for them to be ahead of schedule, not only make the playoffs this year, but then win a playoff game against Minnesota before going up against the Eagles, and they didn't really have a chance. And then in the, the NFC Championship game, you have all those injuries to the quarterbacks for San Francisco that results in Brock Purdy having to come back into the game despite not being able to throw the ball more than a yard downfield. So they're not really challenged. They don't really have to put one of their best game plans out there. Do you think that's going to be a hindrance, or do you think that is actually helpful because they didn't have to you know, put Jalen Hurts at risk with that shoulder injury during this postseason run? From a health perspective, they're in a good spot, and for that reason alone, we know that the Giants and the 49ers sold out against the run, the quarterback run specifically. Jalen Hurts didn't top more than 45 yards in either of those games. Now, will the Chiefs take that same format and try to apply it to keeping Jalen Hurts in the pocket not allowing him to scramble because we know how magical he is when he's able to get outside the pocket, you know, and rush for a lot of yards. I I don't know what I think is going to happen in, in terms of that because the Chiefs have some game records up front. We talk so much about the, how good the Philadelphia Eagles defensive front is, 70 sacks in the season, but watching what Chris Jones did, watching what Frank Clark coming alive to playoff version of Frank Clark over throughout the AFC Championship – I'm not so sure that it's going to be a slam dunk that the Eagles will have the benefit in that matchup. But 
to your point, I think about not just those two playoff games, Gabe, where it was 38-7 to the Giants, then and they won, they cruised. 31-7 when they're facing the four-string quarterback and Josh Johnson for the San Francisco 49ers. I go back to the the, you know, the games at the end of the season where they're just blowing teams out. And this is when Jalen Hurts was healthy. Remember, they beat the Giants week, I believe it was week 13, 48-22, and then they beat the Bears. And the games that they lost at the end of the season were because Gardner Minshew was playing and Jalen Hurts was not. So I think this is still the most complete team in the NFL and that they won't have any sort of trouble from the last couple weeks and you know certainly no hangover or the fact that like it's not like they didn't take those teams seriously and were able to skate by. Like, that's the argument I don't like when people say the Eagles had the easiest path to the Super Super Bowl. It's not their fault that the San Francisco 49ers lost both of their quarterbacks for a period of time in that game in the NFC Championship. It's not their fault that the Giants couldn't figure out how to run the ball with Saquon Barkley. It's the circumstances of the games, and there's a reason that they haven't played in that many close games outside of you know the close loss to the Cowboys and then the close loss to the, to the New Orleans Saints when their main guy who was going to be under center this weekend was not playing. Yeah, it's it, yeah. I agree with you that it's not their fault. Like you play the schedule in front of you, and if you dominate your opponent because you're that good, like I'm not taking anything away. I think the Eagles, I one through fifty three, the Eagles have the better roster to me than the Kansas City Chiefs. But the Chiefs have to me an advantage in the two most important areas, and that's at head coach and quarterback. Granted, the quarterback is a little beat up in Patrick Mahomes for the Kansas City Chiefs, but he was saying earlier this week that he's still feeling good about his ankle, especially since they had two weeks off. I always test the field a little bit, um, but definitely the last last game I tested out the ankle just a little bit extra just to see where I was at um, with the adrenaline pump and everything like that. Uh, this game, I don't know. We'll see when I get there, I guess, but uh, I feel like I'm in a good spot already, and uh, I'll just continue to build and try to get myself ready to go for the game. They had to play a tight AFC championship game. They have the more experience. And if the Eagles don't jump out to a lead, I wonder if that experience at those two positions in particular, quarterback and head coach, end up tilting the field a little bit in favor of the Kansas City Chiefs. That's a good point because the Eagles are a dangerous team when you let them play with a lead. We saw it with the New York Giants when they jumped out to a 28-0 to lead, and what happened in the first half was nothing. I mean, the Giants scored one touchdown in the third quarter, and that didn't matter. And then there was that series of events following the botched challenge call where uh, – Kyle Shanahan should have thrown the flag and you know on the on the fumble the, was it a forward pass was it a fumble and then think about the point swing that happened for the Philadelphia Eagles to go up 21 to 7 by halftime you can't give the Eagles any margin to put their foot on the gas and keep it on the gas so if you're the Kansas City Chiefs and you're Patrick Mahomes and I know that we've been talking about his ankle I think First off, I think that the, the the fact that so much time has passed, three-ish weeks since he first injured it, that's a good sign for the Chiefs. And he didn't seem that hampered in, hampered in what he was able to do ability-wise in the AFC Championship game. Yes, we saw him hobbling around a little bit, but he got through it. And 
Their last offensive play, he scrambled for what was the biggest play because it set up the game-winning field goal. So I'm not concerned from, from that perspective. I'd be more concerned about some of those receiver injuries and the question marks about who's going to step up because you didn't see that against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You did see it when MVS and Juju Smith-Schuster both stepped up in a very big way as weapons for Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship because if there's one thing that we've heard all week long, it's how good the Eagles are at defending tight ends. I don't think Travis Kelsey is going to have, you know, a 10-catch, 120-yard game here in the Super Bowl. So who else from the from the Kansas City Chiefs is going to be able to carry that load so they can go toe-to-toe in terms of scoring early on with the Philadelphia Eagles and not let Philly jump out to a big lead with their planned catch-up? When you're talking about the Super Bowl, of course, you're going to start talking about some of the props, where you're going to talk about the over-under, you're going to talk about the game line, and, and there's still plenty of that to be talked about, but also the NBA trade deadline has had quite an impact in Vegas. We're going to get to that coming up next, but first, Courtney has to tell you about FanDuel. Thank you, Gabe. This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today with promo code PLAY to claim your no-sweat-first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's promo code PLAY, P-L-A-Y. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. So much action going on in the NBA, plus the Super Bowl right around the corner. So many things to talk about. It's happening with the city in the desert, and we do that right now on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and on your smart speaker. I'm Gabe Neitzel, along with Courtney Cronin, as we fill in for the guys this afternoon. And we are pleased to be joined by Tyler Fulgham, ESPN sports betting analyst. He's also the host of Daily Wager on ESPN2. So let's start with that trade deadline, Tyler. Uh, clearly some big moves being made by the Lakers, biggest move made by the Suns. What have we seen in terms of futures odds and the chances for the Suns and Lakers to win the NBA Finals. Have those odds uh, been properly adjusted in Vegas? Oh, yeah, big time. The Suns have made a massive move uh, as they now have 
the second shortest odds in the entire NBA to win the Larry O'Brien Trophy. They have the best odds in the Western Conference. Only the Celtics at plus 350 have shorter odds than the Suns at plus 450 to win the entire NBA championship. In the Western Conference, they leapfrog over Los Angeles, that's being the Clippers, Memphis, the Denver Nuggets. They went from about 8-1 to one to plus 230 as the favorite to win the Western Conference. So clearly Las Vegas is expecting them to be popular uh, as far as people betting in the futures market. That's why the price is so short. Um, as far as the Lakers are concerned, they only move slightly. They uh, jumped from, I believe, 40-1 to one to 35-1. to one. So it, it wasn't as much moving with the Lakers as there were the Suns. The Suns are now the somewhat overwhelming favorite to win the Western Conference. Um, over the Denver Nuggets, the L.A. Clippers, the Memphis Grizzlies, and Golden State Warriors, and even the Dallas Mavericks have the same odds as the Warriors after the Kyrie Irving deal. It's funny. I'm looking at some of the odds at Caesars Sportsbook, and I don't see the Brooklyn Nets within the top ten here. They're currently fifth in the Eastern Conference. It feels like Vegas is expecting them to fall off a cliff and, and do it in pretty mighty fashion. What happens now to them from a Vegas perspective, considering the big three's gone, that experiment imploded, and now feels like they're headed towards rebuilding mode? Oh, definitely. They're now 100-1 to at Caesars to win the NBA title. If you go back literally just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, before Kyrie and KD were dealt, they had the second shortest odds in the Eastern Conference behind only the Boston Celtics. Because we shouldn't forget, earlier this year, when KD and Kyrie were healthy together, and after they'd gotten rid of Steve Nash and had Jock Vaughn on as the head coach in the interim, their defense improved drastically, and they won 18 of 20 games. So people were thinking, well, this is, even if James Harden's not here, this is KD, Kyrie, good defense. This is a team that can contend. And now all of a sudden, they go from having the second shortest odds in the uh, uh, Eastern Conference to a 100-to-1 long shot. Like, they are not going to win the East, let's be frank, with the uh, group that they have, uh, especially with some of the moves that teams like Boston and Milwaukee and Philadelphia did make to fortify themselves. So um, it is a complete rebuild now. It was a failed attempt to build a super team in Brooklyn, to say it nicely, um, for various reasons. There are a multitude of factors that go into why it failed. Um, health, um, personal decisions, um, just plain dumb luck. But uh, it, uh, it did not work out in any way, shape, or form. And now the market reflects that the Nets are the longest of long shots, essentially, to win the NBA title. Tyler Fulgham, ESPN Sports Betting Analyst and host of The Daily Wager on ESPN2. Joining us on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, I'm Gabe Neitzel. She's Courtney Cronin filling in for the guys. So as you look at those top 12 teams or so that have less than 50 or 1 odds to win the championship in the NBA, is there one you like from a value perspective that you would think about maybe putting some money on? If I had to pick one of the teams at the top, I would look at the Milwaukee Bucks or the Denver Nuggets. Milwaukee's plus 550. Denver now, because everyone's talking about the Suns and some of the moves that have been made, even though they have the best record in the West, they're 8-1. to one. They have the fourth shortest odds to win the NBA championship. So I think of those teams at the top, Milwaukee, because Giannis, to me, is still the best basketball player on planet Earth as we sit here in the year 2023. And Milwaukee's getting healthy with Middleton back, Drew Holiday. Now they got their guy in Jay Crowder to fortify that perimeter defense. And they have proof of concept. They won the title just a couple of years ago. Denver doesn't have that proof of concept. 
But they do have the two-time defending league MVP, who is better than he has ever been before this year. And now Jamal Murray is healthy. Michael Porter Jr. is there. Aaron Gordon has fit nicely. And they have the best record in the West. But of all the teams that have made significant moves at the deadline, the one I think that provides betters the best value at the moment is the Los Angeles Lakers. They're 35-1 to to win the NBA title. So you're telling me LeBron and AD, who have done this before, are 35-1 to after directly addressing every issue that their team had. They lose Russell Westbrook, who is actually still a good um, ball handler and initiator and creator on offense, but they replace him with D'Angelo Russell, who can do all those things, but shoots the three-point shot 10 to 15% better. They also added Malik Beasley, who's a 35 to 40% three-point shooter. They also added Mo Bamba, who's a seven-footer, who can sh- shooting 40% from downtown. They also added Jared Vanderbilt, who is a guy who has been on his team the last three years. Number one, number one, and number three in net rating. He's a glue guy who, when he's on the floor, you win those minutes. So this team has drastically altered the shape, scope, and geometry of their roster and the locker room, and they have the all-time greatest scorer in Anthony Davis at 35-1. to 1. Like, I, I, I don't think they are the favorite for good reason to win the West, but if you're telling me now in a jumbled West that has Phoenix, Denver, Golden State, the Clippers, the Grizzlies, the Mavericks, even the Pelicans when they get Zion back, all these teams seem pretty close and are probably separated by a hair here or there. I get the bot or the Phoenix Suns at plus four fifty or LeBron and AD in this Lakers at thirty five to one. As we sit here on February 9th, twenty three, if I had to bet any of the teams in the West, as shocking as it to say, I would bet on the team that's thirteenth place right now in the Western Conference after the trade deadline, because that price is just too good relative to their true new ceiling and implied probability of them winning the championship with the group they got. Tyler, certainly appreciate the time as you help us navigate the new landscape that is the NBA with what those odds look like in Vegas. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, Gabe. Tyler Fulgham, ESPN Sports Betting Analyst and the host of Daily Wager on ESPN2, joining us here on Canty and Carlin. Coming up next, most football fans typically don't agree with Roger Goodell, and he had some things to say that kind of raised my eyebrows and Courtney's eyebrows when he spoke with the State of the NFL speech earlier this week. We'll dive into some of those comments coming up next on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Canty and Carlin, the podcast. 
KT Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and on your smart speaker, Gabe Nigel, Courtney Cronin, in for the guys this afternoon. With Super Week, there are so many things that go with that. Not just the game, of course, coming up on Sunday, Super Bowl 57 featuring the Eagles and Chiefs, but you have Media Night, which happened earlier on Monday. And then on Tuesday, you have Roger Goodell giving his um, State of the NFL speech. You have him kind of looking over everything that's going on in the NFL, commenting on it, taking some questions. And if there was one thing over the course of the last, I don't know, couple of weeks going back to the conference championship game weekend, Courtney. One thing that has been scrutinized by a lot of fans and players, Aaron Rodgers making comments about how he would make officiating full time on the Pat McAfee show, um, is the officiating. And the officiating just stood out. A lot of complaints about it from fans just watching those games, in particular the way the AFC Championship game was officiated. So clearly Roger Goodell was going to field a question while giving his State of the NFL speech. And here is what the commissioner had to say about the officiating in his league. Uh, I think for us, when you look at officiating, I don't think it's ever been better in the league. There are over 42,000 plays in a season. Multiple infractions could occur on any plate. Take that out and extrapolate that. That's hundreds, if not millions, of, of, of potential fouls. And our officials do an extraordinary job of getting those. Are there mistakes in the context of that? Yes. They are not perfect, and officiating never will. Is that just something Roger Goodell has to say as the commissioner? Hey, everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Officiating's great in the NFL. Or is this something he actually believes? I don't think he believes it. I think that this is lip service, as is most things in a very choreographed press conference setting where this happens every year. And he's asked about this every year. But you cannot look at the totality of the NFL season and what's the what's the one penalty this year that repeatedly comes up and typically comes under the most scrutiny. It's roughing the passer. And I think the prime example of the NFL's officiating crews needing work and and they're needing to be, whether it's the rules committee stepping in here or, or something else to fix the quality of officiating is how many of those roughing the passer calls that are called on Sundays and then when the league leaks through NFL Network, how, who's fine for what the following Friday or Saturday, how many of those players are not actually called for roughing the passer? How many times, have, and, and this is something I said on Around the Horn last week that I got crucified for because I was talking about the Joseph Osai penalty of him getting pushed out of bounds or him pushing Patrick Mahomes out of bounds and that becoming a 15-yard penalty. There's different degrees to this stuff. And I know that people are like, well, you don't want to have the refs have to decipher anything more in real time. But when they are consistently getting it wrong, don't you think that there should be some sort of change to the rule itself? We know that with roughing the passer specifically, that was the protect the quarterback rule that was made after the 2017 season when Aaron Rodgers was lost for most of the year with that collarbone injury. So I get why Roger Goodell, like I truly do. I don't, I don't agree with it. I get why he had to say what he did. But the crux of this that some many people have pointed out, if you want better officiating – you need to start making these refs full-time employees. The NFL's referee system deals with, you know, getting crews that are 
part-time employees of the league. Imagine if they got full-time employee status where, you know, they are practicing this on a week-in and week-out basis. This is their only job during the week, not that they have some other job elsewhere and then they fly in to call these games. You know, the best getting the best riffs on the field to stay on the field that should be where Roger Goodell, if you if they really want to do something about officiating, making that the final straw here in trying to approve things. Because Aaron Rodgers said something interesting, I thought, at Pat McAfee's podcast, that the best refs he's ever interacted with, the Gene Steratores, the John Perrys, the Terry McLaulies, they're all on TV, Gabe. Like, they're all making a ton of money to be analysts in game broadcasts. So, I... It's it, I, nobody's looking at Roger Goodell and saying that that's the right answer that he truly believes that because at the core of it he knows that there are issues with this. It's constantly talked about and it's affecting the way that games are called and sometimes it's affecting the outcome of games. It, the, the league has more or less admitted that they know there are issues and they're already trying to correct them. My issue with that though is let's just be more open and let everybody know when you're using the 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 guy who's going to get into the ear of the head official and they do this, well, after further discussion, turns out he didn't get the first down. Let us know when you're doing that, when you're not doing it, because just in the juxtaposition of the two championship games, you have Devontae Smith making what looked like at the time a spectacular catch down the sideline, and it ends up eventually getting the Eagles rush to the line, they get the playoff so it doesn't get challenged. Okay, that's kind of strange and that, that the NFL didn't use this system that they have in place and have used for other plays to maybe overturn that call. Meanwhile, in the AFC championship game, you have um, you know a, a, a play where it ends up getting challenged by the Cincinnati Bengals. But then the officials got together and said, oh, you know, you don't have to use that challenge. Instead, we're going to overturn this play on our own. And you have Gene Steratore coming on saying, well, the reason why they did this because there was a stoppage in play. Well, the stoppage in play play was the fact that Zach Taylor threw the red challenge flag. Just be more open and transparent with some of this stuff. And I think that's going to help this whole process immensely. Be more open to using the technology that's available to you and use that technology to help. Yes, that's what you need to do. It's the next step. It makes the most sense for the NFL to use that sky judge. Coming up next, we're going to get to those winners and losers from the NBA trade deadline here on Canty and Carlin ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.